will sleep better than you have ever slept. You've never been this relaxed. Are you ready to change your life? I'm Rusty Diamond, certified hypnotist. You don't need to leave your house. You can stay in your bed. You can stay in your favorite chair. You just need a computer or your phone. You can get a hold of me. Stay at home. I'll make your life better. Hypnosisisgrade.com It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. Yo, man. Boomus Rusty. What is up, everyone? Welcome, 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 welcome to the Public Access Podcast, the podcast here on the Quantum Global Broadcasting. Ha <laughs> ha, not anymore. I almost want to go and cut that out, but I won't because it doesn't matter. It ain't on that anymore. It's on the Rusty Diamond Podcast Network. That's the real stuff. So, habits, old habits, hard to break, right? Thank you, everyone, for being here. And, yeah, it's, I don't know, what day of the week. Thursday, probably. Um, yeah, days of the week aren't relevant. Times of the day aren't relevant as long as it is light or dark. That is what matters. Try telling that in 2023 as it was lighter, as dark as all that matters. Uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for being here. And thank you to a sponsor. Hypnosis is great. There's some guy looks like uh, it was a long time ago. Didn't have any hair. Don't know who that guy is. Pretty good looking guy, though. But that's not what this is about today. Today is about bringing my special guest on and my special guest is right here right now and my special guest right here right now is paul hightower and none of the views here represent any government entities or their subsidiaries or any other agencies and yeah. i think that's where we're going to go with we'll start off there with that disclaimer which always means there's going to be some stuff that might be said, which uh, is only the views of people here on the Public Access Podcast. So, uh, Paul, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Oh, it's good to be here. Trust me, it's a long-awaited experience. Uh, yeah. Have you never done a podcast before? I have done a podcast on Spotify. Oh, well, I'm mispronouncing it, but regardless... I have done a hybrid true kind podcast. I'm going to probably be picking that up back up again in the new year. But yeah, uh, doing a live, you know, non-edited, you know, just rolling with. Yeah, this is the first one. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, I've, yeah, I've been on some podcasts that are edited and I've thought about doing the editing thing, but then I would probably either have one podcast a month or I would have... 60 podcasts set in a backlog of things that need to be edited and then talking about uh people doing the uh macarena or something and uh, re releasing it now is probably about how relevant anything would be so i, I need to keep it live and oh, yeah. edited. the editing is a pain in the ass let, let me tell you it's just absolutely time consuming you're trying to remove your pauses you're trying to remove your grammar mistakes when a person with a southern accent that can be time consuming because you don't want to sound like you're a hick you want to sound like you're educated i mean i have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice with a uh, strategic intelligence study i guarantee you i know i sound country but i'm not i you know i just have an accent 
So are you from, uh, was it Virginia, was it? Are you from there or do you move there? I moved to Virginia for a job. My spouse works in the government. It's uh, pretty much all I can say about her. She she works pretty high up in echelon. Uh, I myself come from South Carolina. I spent most of my adult life in service to the state via corrections, law enforcement. Uh, I have worked in some of the deepest, darkest holes South Carolina has to offer. I have seen numerous things. I've also, as I said, had a seat to the greatest show on earth because for 13 or 14 years, I ran the booking division or I was part of the booking division at various points in a large county jail. And you're talking about entertainment factor. I know it was human drama and everything else. And you don't want to make light of it. But you never had a dull moment. So when you said booking, I, I was thinking like uh, I w wasn't thinking booking like jail and prison. I, I was thinking like uh, booking a show or something. But it kind of is oh, yeah. sort of the same thing. You have to go make sure you have certain people set with other certain people to make for oh, the yeah. best possible outcome. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a violent potentially violent atmosphere when you're running a jail and you're bringing people off the streets because they're going to have drugs on them. They're going to have weapons on them that the deputy missed. I can't tell you how many times I've been paying down a person. I pull out 357 Magnum or 38 snub nose. And I'm like, here, you missed this. And like you have various, we didn't have a major gang problem, but you had different neighborhoods that didn't like each other. Obviously, you have different types of people that don't like each other. Even you have sports collectives. You have two colleges down there, the University of South Carolina and Clemson. They absolutely hate each other. On game week, you literally would have to segregate the booking room by, are you a football fan or not? And then how am I going to separate you so you don't fight? So you know? would they let the football games happen in the uh... – in there, would they be able to watch it, or was it like that ended up being such a thing that actually, like, no more it, football? Actually, it became to a point where we were getting people in from the bars for fights that were happening during the football game. At one wow. point, we had a county next to us had a actual duel where two people shot at each other over the football game. Like they so, were, it's a big thing down there. The, the duel or a duel or a foot the football game uh or both or, well dueling's not as common as it used to be in south carolina but most definitely there is violence associated with that sports rivalry and that does spill over into law enforcement because you're going to have to deal with it and it's like oh. as i said as you're running a booking division you got like a county of 120,000 residents and of that 120,000 residents you're probably not going to see most of them but you're going to see some of the same clientele over and over again, like a Otis from Mayberry or, a, you know, just you have your regulars. Like right. I've had people who have a criminal history that's probably five to six inches thick. Okay. Yeah. I, the, uh, the recidivist uh, as a. Yeah. Recidivist. Yeah. Recidivism, if that's the, the correct term. I, I learned that on uh, the Trailer Park Boys, where uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. you ever you ever seen that show? Oh, yeah. They're entertaining. The, honestly, there's many places in America that are just like that. Maybe not as entertaining, but pretty much, yeah. Uh, even our county, we had several trailer parks where it was known, hey, you get a call down there. You don't go down there alone. You're going to have to go down there with three or four guys and you better bring the paddy wagon because you're going to be literally loading people up. It's, it's just, we, we knew. So like, yeah. Go were ahead. you on that part too? Or were you more just once, once they got in there, were you ever on, on the police part of it? Uh, as far I, as like going to pick up people or were you just waiting? In South, in South Carolina, uh, jailer or a deputy in the jail can be utilized during times of emergency for uh, civil disorder curfew stuff like that so i've had several 
natural disasters, mainly the flood, we had a thousand year flood. I think it was in 2018 or no, it might've been 2016. And like we got pulled out of the jail to go do anti-looting patrols and go shut down roads and move barriers, stuff that the regular deputies didn't want to do. When I moved up to Virginia, I moved out of corrections and out of detention. I moved into uh, probation, first local probation and then state probation. Literally, local probation is like you are literally supervising people who are on pretrial for numerous things, or you're supervising them after they get a misdemeanor charge, which is, you know, fine. State probation is the big boys. You're supervising people who've come out of prison after being behind bars for 20, 25 years. You're supervising people there on probation for the first time. You get a mix of everything. And obviously, I spent a fair amount of time uh, doing local probation, but I spent a short amount of time doing state probation. And some of the places I worked state probation was you know, very questionable. Lots of fentanyl, lots oh. of dope. Yeah. Is that pretty prevalent down there um, right now in Virginia? I know well, it is Yeah, kind of everywhere right now. Yeah, don't mind the dog. He's fine. Uh, but yeah, uh, we have a uh, we have a major fentanyl problem. We have a major meth problem. Heroin's making a resurgence. Uh, one of the things I've seen, and this is because Virginia has a lot of horses, and horse tranquilizers not regulated by the state government or federal government. You have oh. people mixing horse tranquilizer with other drugs. Now it depends on where you are from. Some people are mixing, then? yeah, they're mixing horse tranquilizer with fentanyl or horse tranquilizer with meth oh, or just different things. And the problem is, is the Narcan won't revive you. You you will die. Like if you've overdosed on that, you, you can call it because like the Narcan wasn't meant for something to strength a horse tranquilizer. Right. As I said, it's not re it's not regulated, so it's easily obtainable. You just break into a stable, you go into, you know, or go into a veterinarian's office where you know they don't have video surveillance, you bust in the back door and you're good to go. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. So then so when people are on that, I mean, what are they doing? Because like with the the fentanyl and well, stuff, it's that that lean that sort of like hunched over yeah like like the shoot the videos of uh pennsylvania uh, philadelphia, in, in philadelphia kensington, kensington. yeah, the, yeah. We get a lot of that honestly i hate to say it i prefer that over like people who were on bath salts those guys were crazy uh i had a Did person try to yeah i had a person try to actually eat me while they were on bath salts like literally walk past the holding cell the guy is gnawing on his own arm then he looks at me i open the door i'm like what are you doing like he was literally ripping the flesh off of his arm and then he lunged upon me and started trying to bite like uh you know he tried to bite where my vest was he tried to bite through a few other things he ended up sinking his teeth into my radio and ended up actually pressing the emergency button. So like he was gnawing on the, sorry, I got to put the phone on silent. He That's was okay. gnawing on my radio mic and actually pressed the emergency button and oh, everything came convenient. running. Yeah. Uh, nice and, of him. But yeah, uh, I, I much, I, I hate to say I prefer an epidemic of drugs because obviously it's destroying people's lives and it's killing them. But bath salts and synthetics were far more dangerous to us versus the tranquilizers and the fentanyl. The tranquilizers and the fentanyl, you know, they, they wreak havoc on the population. Lots of people die, but they very rarely turn violent because it's like a subsidiary thing. No, not subsidiary. It's a sedation thing, you know. You're trying right. to escape. You're trying to numb or dull the pain. That's what we hear a lot from a lot of people who are in recovery. 
they were trying to numb some previous trauma or they were trying to get away from reality or just not feel. Like I've heard had people tell me, oh, I just do it because I don't want to feel anything. I'm like, you're, you're, I, don't mean, I can't obviously speak for everybody's trauma, but it's like, wow, you, you have that much trauma in your life that you just don't want to feel anything. Like you right. just want all to be gone. Until it comes back and uh, you're not expecting it and you have to relive that trauma somehow and you've worked through it zero and it comes back just as hard. Honestly, when it comes to substance abuse, you know, everything's a bad thing that obviously causes death. Um, I won't speak on marijuana because I have my personal opinions. I think that's our payday loan out of our current debt crisis is the federalization of marijuana and, you know, basically treating it like alcohol. But alcohol by far, I've seen alcohol destroy lives. I've seen people who were productive members of society and something just snapped and they just took to the bottle and they never stopped. And once they, you, once if you're lucky enough to get them in a meeting, get them treatment and get them to the point where they're in recovery, they can always relapse. There's always a danger of relapse. But the oddest thing to see a person who's like a staggering blind alcoholic, like we had our town drunk. He had done everything from try to drink gasoline to dry, try, try to drink paint thinner. Wow. And like okay. he even tried to break into the county jail. We had to arrest him for trying to break into the county jail because he wanted a sandwich. Like literally, okay. you know, he tried to break in. But we got to the point where it's like we're dealing with not only the substances like the synthetics, you're dealing with the hardcore drugs, the heroin, the meth, the it's like it's like, what have we done to ourselves as a society when, you know, we get to the point where all these substances are readily available. There's no, for every interdiction on the border, every interdiction at sea, there's probably 10 shipments getting through. Like it's readily available. It's even readily available in prisons. Like I accidentally, one time when I was working in a prison, uncovered a large stash of black tar heroin. Let me tell you, that almost got me killed because I sit there and interrupted the officer's business. And he literally looked at the gang he was supplying and like, that person's a problem. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, me and the person who found it, we both get assaulted within 30 seconds of each other on the same day. And then like, we were greenlit. I mean, there's drugs even in the most high secure prison. We're not talking about just marijuana. We're talking about, I have literally seen people exhibiting symptoms of heroin use, methamphetamine use in prison. I have seen people who are, I've literally walked into an inmate's room where they will have like a makeshift cooler where they have a box and they steal some ice from the cafeteria and literally pulled a natty light tall boy out of their little makeshift cooler. And I'm like, that came in from an officer. That didn't come in through a visitor. Right, you, yeah. You slowly realize, like, about 10 to 25% of your staff that you're working with, people you call your colleagues, may be dirty. And the worst part is the people at the main gate who are scan uh, scanning people in and out doing, uh, you know, contraband checks, they're part of the problem. And then you have to contend with, we actually had a, couple of guys, they drink, They uh, manufactured a trebuchet, you know, like not a catapult, but the trebuchet where it like swings it around. Sure. They were shooting stuff into the prison from like a quarter of a mile away. They literally launch it, it end up on a recreation yard and then they pull out. Whoa. And so then, because I mean, yeah, it seems like a good way to get it in uh and if you can i mean it, and then who's gonna who's gonna suspect uh one of those uh i was there before drones and we had major problems i can only imagine oh, shit. 
what the drones are doing because like when I was in local law enforcement, we would be able to see stuff that was going on in the prison system. And they're like constantly be a report drone down by designated marksman drone shot down by perimeter vehicle. And it's like, yeah, they're getting some of the drones, but they're obviously not getting them all because like people are still dying of overdoses in prison. It's like, it's funny whenever you see a inmate death, and they're like, no foul play is suspected. And the kid is like 20, 30, 40. You got to assume it was an overdose. Even right. in our most secure facilities, you know, even on the federal side, they have problems with drugs. Not as bad as the state or local side, but, you know, and of course you got systemic violence. You got gangs running the yards. Uh, you know, it's like a, the society hierarchy within a society. And it's like, even in a cashless society, they have like denominations set up for contra for regular things they buy off the canteen. Like in my prison, a honey bun was a dollar. The basis of the prison economy was a honey bun. Ron was 50 cents. I mean, and went up. They had a set system of barter for different services. And, uh, you know, they had a set system of barter, you know, they had, you know, services they were providing, legal and not legal. And so if you find something in there and you're a guard, is it better to just leave it alone then? Like with knowing what you know now, would it be better just to let it go through or because um, they're like, oh, well, hey, f Paul found this, uh, but... Uh, and now, now there you have a big target on your back, or is it you know? I, I don't regret anything that I did as an officer. I, yeah. I really don't. However, however, if I could take some of the stupidity back, like uh, being macho, uh, you know, being like thinking you were you knew best, or you know that you were going to change things. Yeah, I, I would take some of it back, but I would not take any of the drug addiction stuff back because obviously, you know, you know those drugs are going to create more violence in the system because like literally you have gangs peddling the drugs to users. Those gangs run a hierarchy. <clears throat> like there was a prison captain in the state I was from. He was good at interdicting cell phones. Those cell phones were how they managed to run, uh, you know, run their criminal enterprise. Well, from the outside, he was, or for the inside, for the outside. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, the the prison contraband cell phones are just as important as the drugs. And he was walk, walking out his front door and he was shot six times on his front doorstep like in front of his wife he was assassinated nearly assassinated the only thing that saved him was he was able to pull himself back in the house and kick the door shut and the person happened to run out of ammunition but that was a captain like literally you it was like on the godfather you know have you ever seen the movie the godfather right. there's certain people who are supposed to be above the fray and a captain in a facility what used to be somebody you'd consider untouchable. Yet these criminal enterprises, some of them come from countries beyond where we're from, like MS-13 and SUR-13 and Norteños operate freely in the California system. They operate in Texas and other prison systems throughout the country. These people literally have a hierarchy on the street within you know the prison like they're calling shots they're killing witnesses they're killing people who are co cooperating with uh, law enforcement and it's like they very well could kill you they can find who you are they can find where you live and they can hunt you down so yeah it's like you know you want to do your job but do you fear the possibility of retaliation yeah, you would be a fool not to, especially if you have a family. Right. And then, so, I mean, is that something that you have to, you know, make sure you don't bring up while you're there? Like, you're not, 
talking with other people there about your family or is that something you know it's, and... it's funny you mentioned that I, got, I had a lot of fun with this over the years especially on the prison side but sometimes on the sheriff's office side i would invent a family in my head i was married with four kids and had two ex-wives and like i even gave them names and who was oldest and who lost a tooth and like i literally generated these stories in my head and i would like keep them going and like eventually you would have an officer come by and they're like oh this Hightower's eyes his wife okay and like they're literally they look at me they look at the guy and they're like Hightower's not married and then they realize you are stringing them along and it's like uh, the longest burn I ever had or the longest run I ever had was on Esto unit in Lieber was where we had our lifers, the people who, you know, they're over 55 years old. They're never going home. They're there until they die. They're like literally they are not expecting any legal action to let them go free. They're going to be there until they're dead. And it's like, I literally had a fictitious life running in my head. And I was sitting there telling the guy about a wife that didn't exist, a kid that didn't exist, and a dog that didn't exist in a house that was non-existent. I kept that running for over three years. Oh, shit. Okay. And so what, it, the, so the officer, other officer ended up kind of giving away that you were not. It, yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a good there. counterintelligence tool because you figure out who's talking to the inmates because they're like, they'll give you away. And you're like, oh. yeah, I can't trust that guy. You know, yeah. he's, but another funny thing was, we had a yard when I was working in the prison, obviously, with a lot of older people with diabetes, hearing impairments, stuff like that. We had a guy. He was without a leg. He lost one leg. I don't know if it's either diabetes or just, you know, it got gangrene. I, I don't, I'm not, wasn't privy to that. But he literally one day rolled up to me in the wheelchair, looked up with me at me with a smile and said, I'm going to kick your ass one day. And I looked down, obviously him missing a leg. I'm like, that'll be the day. I did not know in six weeks later, he was going to get a prosthetic leg and come walking back into that unit, smiling at me that he was going to kick my ass. It was and that guy. The, huh? It was Same that time. guy? Yeah, that guy. That was the and guy that kicked your ass. It's literally the same guy who said he's going to kick my ass without with one leg. He walks in with a prosthetic, and I'm like, uh-oh. I literally ended up taking his prosthetic leg, locking it in the sergeant's office, and I'm like, hey, you know, you can have it back at the end of the shift, all right? Uh, but, yeah, we, we had we had all types of running jokes. When Super Troopers came out, we played a lot of Super Troopers game with the inmates. They got a kick out of that. Meow? Uh, yeah, the Meow game was very popular on Death Row. Uh, on, on Death Row. How'd yeah, I was on Death Row for a short time. Uh, with the actually, meow, Death Row on was Death one of my preferred assignments. They are very quiet. They're very respectful. They're just trying to work on their appeals and stuff like that. You had one or two assholes back there, but for the most part, they're, you know, it's a very sullen, quiet place. Nobody wants to make waves because they're going to make things worse, worse for themselves. And surprisingly, they have a good amount of freedom. Like, they're allowed to come out of their cells. They're allowed to wreck together if they... If they're not a risk to others, they can like wreck four at a time in a basketball court and play basketball. They have access to legal library. They have access to a regular library. And like, I had a running tally in my head who liked Stephen King, who liked uh, whatever the guy's name was, Dean Koontz. Uh, you know, the, certain offers certain people like and I had to look out for a new book and just bring it down to them like here you go this is the newest one they're like oh I read it or no I haven't read thank you very much I mean you learn your clientele yeah it's not the same as community uh, it's not the same as customer service because obviously the customer's not right but you still have to learn your people to efficiently run your unit that means you don't sympathize with what they've done you uh, emphasize, not emphasize, 
you don't sympathize with what they've done and what they're doing and everything else. You acknowledge they're there for a reason. You acknowledge they're still a human being. And then you acknowledge that you're going to have to have a some type of relationship with this person on a professional level to accelerate your day running smoothly. Because they outnumber you 126 to 1 on the yard. They outnumber you 30 to 1 on death row. At least that was the 2007 numbers. It's probably worse now. You were outnumbered 126 to 1. If you can't talk, talking is a major part of your job. It's not being the guy on Shawshank with the baton trying to throw somebody off a roof. Right. Yeah, that may have been that way in the 40s or 50s. But let me tell you, one, body cameras, two, surveillance cameras, and three, civil rights lawsuits will end you. You have to be able to, uh, I think Theodore Roosevelt said the best, talk so, uh, walk softly and carry a big stick. You have to be able to have a, some type of professional rapport with these people. And then when they step out of line, you have to be able to quickly deal with it and or I wouldn't say make an example of it, but you have to be able to, uh, I hate to use the Barney Fife expression, but nip it in the like yeah. if you make an example out of that guy when he tried to assault you, the rest of the guys are going to be like, do I really want to go to the hole and have a- added time and this and that? And I'm like. Right. And so like if they end up in the hole, like, I mean, how do people usually come back from that? Is usually come back that well, it becomes worse or is it, be- do you think that maybe well, they've. The thing that the public doesn't realize is. The whole is a different concept depending on the state. State of South Carolina were extremely overcrowded. There was no solitary confinement. Even if you're in a security housing unit, unless you killed somebody, you're going to have a roommate. Because simply put, we don't have the room. Now, if you are on the high, high security side, Supermax, I've seen people come back from Supermax and step down to SMU and then step down to the yard they're only in Supermax for a year or two, and they come back a little off, but they're fine. Or, or, you know, I have seen people come off Supermax after I had the opportunity to see a person come off Supermax. And they've been on Supermax for over 15 years. Now, rightfully so, they tried to stab a cafeteria worker to death over a milk dispenser not working. So, yeah, he was in, uh, he was in Supermax. He stepped down to SMU. When we stepped him down to SMU, man, he came back from Columbia, which, you know, housed Supermax. When we took him into the open air from the van, like, he hadn't seen, like, open, open air. Supermax, you're, like, in a concrete box that looks up 30 feet, and you can see a little slitter sky. When he was in an open environment for the first time, he looked neatly, collapsed to the ground, urinated himself, and cried is too overwhelming for him. That's why you find a lot of us do not support, correctional professionals tend to not support long-term usage of um, solitary solitary confinement for anything less than murdering somebody in a facility. Now, as I said, SMU was not as hard on inmates because you got a roommate, you got somebody to talk to, you got some way to pass the time. Yeah, you're restricted in what you can do. You only go to a recreation yard for one hour a day. You spend 22 hours locked down. You get a one-hour shower. That's on a good week. If things are going well, you go to the shower, you go to the rec yard, or vice versa, and you're constantly moving people in groups. On a bad day or a bad week or a bad month, that might be cut down to you get three hours of rec a week three showers a week. I mean, it it can go that low. When we've had cases where we had a natural disaster like a hurricane and we're on lockdown. That means even the people in general population, they are not moving. They are locked in their cells because we have no power. We're on emergency generators and there's multiple holes in the perimeter from trees or whatever. And you're like, nope, we we can't move. We gotta wait until they fix the fence and fix the power. Whoa. And so then, yeah, everyone's just in lockdown. And so, I mean, what happens 
do people get pretty stir crazy pretty fast or they get pretty stir crazy pretty fast but south carolina has always been at least when i was there you're gonna be the first place besides the hospital to get power back so oh, that okay. works usually if there's no damage to the perimeter like if there's no major damage to the perimeter, you can lift a lockdown pretty quickly afterwards. Yeah. Uh, but in some cases, it's like, in some cases, you know, you have acts of violence on the yard. Like I've seen people murdered and like they will lock down the yard for a short period of time, like an hour, two hours, get crime scene then get crime scene out. But then I've seen larger acts of violence, like a riot, where we'll literally lock down not only the yard, we'll lock down the entire state. Like, we've had cases where there's been a riot across the state, and they know the 5 o'clock news is going to come on 15 minutes. If they see that their guys are rioting on the other side of the state, they're going to be like, oh, if they're rioting, well, well, let's riot too. And it's like, and we'll literally lock down the units really quick for count, or we'll call an emergency count. Everybody go back, turn off the news. And when the news is done, we'll let them back out. And they're like, what was that about? Like, I have no clue. You will lie your ass off. Uh, how, I mean, how much of that is, I mean, how much of the, the lying your ass off happens in that just without, you know, and they are ever kind of smartened up to it or i mean it's got to like with the if you got a con and there's a difference between a convict and an inmate an inmate is somebody probably in their first few years they don't know the convict code there is a convict code they don't know how to do their time yet or they're a short timer they're never going to learn how to do their time there's rules in the penitentiary among prisoners even like across what? gang lines there's simple rules. Don't beg, don't borrow, don't steal, don't snitch. Do your own time. Those are the main major five, and every institution has other rules, of course. In South Carolina, one of the general rules on the yard was if it's a female officer, you do not hit that female officer. You know, if it's like you decide you got a problem with her and you decide you want to knock her the hell out. That's going to cause you some problems down the road because, like, literally, it's just an unspoken rule. You find the child molesters and people who are there for domestic battery, they do not have a very high life expectancy. Right. They, they, I've always found it admirable that even in that part of society, there are standards and morals. There's like, they maintain a simpler version of society. It's like, we don't tolerate pedophiles. We don't tolerate men to beat women. If you are a guy that's in there for postal fraud, or uh, I'm just making up something. If you're a guy that's in there for a short time offense, you're not necessarily going to have to join a gang for you know, survival because they're literally going to look at you and be like, you're going to be off this yard in six months somewhere else. And it's like, it's all about how you do your time. If you don't listen to other people's conversations, you don't snitch, you keep to yourself, you're going to find your experience to be surprisingly peaceful besides, you know, what administration has to do, be it cell searches, be it shakedowns, be it, you know, whatever intrudes into your daily schedule. But for the most part, if you're not on the level three yard or supermax, you can find prison time actually very boring. Like uh, the minimum security facility that was next to us, uh, they're a medium security facility. They had horseshoes and bocce ball, like metal horseshoes. Where we were, we had to count the lawnmower blades on the lawnmowers, make sure you didn't take it off to go stab somebody with you. And like 10 miles down the road, there's a medium camp where they're playing bocce ball. Pickleball hadn't become a real popular thing yet, but they're, bocce they're balls playing, are heavy. Yeah, they're playing bocce ball. And it's like they, they do their time differently. Every yard, every security level is different. And there's a different type of society. But the 
five major rules apply. Don't beg, don't borrow, don't steal, don't snitch and do your own time. Don't trouble anybody else about their problems. And there's another unspoken rule that will get you killed very quickly. Do not faint a religious experience like where you have converted as a born again Christian and renounced sin. Yeah. Do not do that and then be doing dirt behind everybody's back. If you use religion as a cover for your criminal activities, you will find yourself very alone or very dead very quick. Because like people take religious conversion and religious you know, practices seriously. It's like, surprisingly, I wish society would be more like prison. You don't have Christians troubling Muslims. You don't have Muslims troubling Christians. They have their own times to go to the chaplain. They do their own thing. You know, we don't serve pork. We serve kosher inmates to Jewish inmate, uh, kosher meals to Jewish inmates. That that gets to be a techno, that gets to be a, a logistics nightmare. But when you have a Jewish inmate on the yard, they get kosher meals. Literally, most of the time, it's a microwave TV dinner that's kosher. Uh, but yeah. It works. It satisfies the needs of uh, well, whoever. It satisfies the it satisfies the legal requirements to not infringe upon their religion. We even have sadists. Like on my yard, we had practicing sadists, and they would constantly petition the warden and the regional director to be provided a live goat to sacrifice to Satan. And of course, they would tell them absolutely not. The, the compromise would, was they would give them a fresh, freshly loafed, uh, freshly baked loaf of bread and like some food color dye and just like tear it apart. Yeah. You know, that'd be your willing sacrifice to the dark prince. I'm like, I don't know who came up with that one, but yeah, that's that what they came up with. Yeah. But yeah, the, the prison subculture can be very interesting. A lot of movies get it wrong. A lot of books get it wrong. If you're interested in it, one of the best books I can recommend is New Jack. And it's by a guy named Connor. And he was a New York Times reporter who literally set off his job for a year, enrolled in a civil service exam, got picked to go to Sing Sing, went to the academy and literally worked in a prison for a year and then wrote a book. Oh, okay. The amount of stuff you're going to learn from him and from the ulcer side is immense. There's a lot of ulcers on the inmate side to get right. There's a lot of people that glamorize it. There's a lot of people that don't glamorize it. You have a lot of people, there's a lot of subject material, but don't assume that it's going to be like Oz or it's going to be like Shawshank Redemption. You know, it isn't. It, it has overtones of that and it can very well go bad at any time. Like I've been standing on general population yard and like literally they just found out the governor banned smoking in all prisons. Mm. About 45 minutes later, we were running for our lives off the yard trying to get a door locked trying to get to the armory to grab tear gas and other equipment. Like it can turn that quick. 45 minutes makes a hell of a difference when something comes down. I think the one that I never agreed with was they took away the inmates guitars. I'm like, I'm like, really guitars? Like, yeah, they're not the honky-tonk man or. Uh... Yeah. They, they took away the guitars off the yard because they had been, you couldn't buy them for the longest time on commissary, but the ones that were on the yard were just overlooked. It was like, you know, all right, it got in here. Obviously, it didn't come in from the front gate. Maybe it could have came in from the front gate, but it looks like it's from 1970. So you just, and that's another thing is constantly know, knowing when to pick your battles, is knowing when to make an issue out of something and when not to make an issue out of something. Because if you spend your time running down every small infraction, every single thing, you're going to drive yourself insane. Pick something this simple, like covering up a window to a cell door. 
pick something simple like, oh, I don't know, not flushing your own poop. Right? How, how big is that? It's not a real big thing, except with the people who are like dealing with mental health issues. But okay. we had one guy, he was on the general population yard. He never did anything to go to lockup. And like, literally, I'd make it a point every hour on the hour to walk past, unlock his door, flush his toilet and lock his door back because like he just he wasn't quite there. And some might, somehow the criminal justice system declared him mentally fit to stand trial. I've literally seen somebody on death row. And I'm pretty sure that he, obviously, if you work on death row, you're not the people in the capital punishment complex. Some of them do go up and some of them are part of that team. But for the most part, you don't participate in the process. I have literally seen a guy who I'm pretty sure was executed. He was functioning on the level of, he asked if he could take his coloring book to the capital punishment complex. Mental health and the criminal justice system can be an immense thing because people can put on a facade. People can fool a psychiatrist, but sometimes they're not acting. That's a very thin line. And so, I mean, what, what happens then? I mean, if you got, I mean, I guess it's kind of the same with society. And now it's a lot harder to, you know, differentiate with some of some people in some situations and i mean so if you're getting people in there that and i mean especially with now there being so many it, it got even worse down. it got even worse on the probation side because you're now dealing with people who've been released into the community and there's still no services available because in most states the mental health hospitals are closed if right. not if not they are very severely reduced in size you have a person that's having a mental health crisis and the only thing you can do is literally park them in an ER and hope that they can balance out his chemical imbalance in his head. And then, then he's going to go out, he's going to take his meds for a while. He's going to go back off his meds. Same thing with substance abuse. Virginia has a very good substance abuse, you know, policy. If you get popped on probation with fentanyl, you go to jail. You don't get a bond. You don't get the opportunity to bond out. You will sit there until you go to trial on your probation or parole violation because we don't want you to die. And a lot, there's a lot of good treatment centers in Virginia, but there's not enough of them. There's not enough long-term sober living houses and there's not, you're constantly waiting for space. And it's like, we need to spend more money on treatment to reduce the amount of people we have coming through the correctional system. It takes $25,000 to incarcerate a person in the state of Virginia. That's the last total I got. It was $25,000 a year to incarcerate a typical prisoner. That's food, medicine, staff to watch them, the electricity to run the building and everything else. They've subdivided and added together. And that's what they come with. It costs the taxpayers. $20,000 to $25,000 to house one prisoner a year. And it's like, in South Carolina, it was less because like literally we were running our own meat farms. We were running our own vegetable farms. Cool. The inmates were eating better than the people in some schools because like literally sure. they're sourcing fresh chicken. They're sourcing fresh vegetables. Now that sucks later in the year when there's no vegetables coming in, you're eating canned, but and they were sourcing their own milk, for God's sakes. The State Department of Corrections for the, South, the state of South Carolina has one of the biggest dairy farms in the state of South Carolina, and you have prisoners milking the cows. And they much rather prefer to be milking the cow than being locked in a cell. Sure. It's, like, it's a very good system, but it's ripe for abuse because you can also sell that stuff to the public market. And you've seen it in the past where some politicians would abuse it. Now, I was there when Mark Sanford was in office. He was the guy that ran off supposedly hiking the Appalachian Trail, and he was cheating on his Argentinian mistress in Argentina versus governing. Now, oh, okay. we took major budget cuts under Sanford, and then, like, I don't remember who came after Sanford, but when Nikki Haley came into office, it was like, Hey, we cut to the bone. We got to put some more meat back in the budget. We got to, 
restaff, we got to re-equip, we got to retrain. Think about this. In 2007 or 2005, when I was in the Department of Corrections, I was carrying a 357 revolver like Dirty Harry had. That was my primary weapon for a transport. It wasn't a Glock. It wasn't a Sig Sauer. It wasn't a Ruger. It was a 357 from the 50s. The shotgun I used to take on death row runs was a Western Auto shotgun manufactured in the 60s. The designated marksman rifles were mini 14s. They were Vietnam era issue. We literally got our armory from the state troopers trash can. Like whenever they threw something away, we'd say, we'll take it. And like, you were lucky enough to have a good armor. So all the stuff still worked, but you're working with uh, on the officer side, the guys on the mainland yard, you're carrying a can of pepper spray that's expired. You have a stab vest if you were lucky, which is five years expired. <clears throat> you're carrying a Motorola radio that's from the 80s. I literally had a Motorola radio fly into half while I was trying to call for help one time. I ended up having to fight it out because like literally my radio is now in two pieces down the hall because it was that archaic. Right. I was lucky enough to get the better hand of that, you know. As I said, you know, I, I could go on for days about the things that go wrong in prisons, but even on the probation side, you go to these people's houses and you do a home visit in rural Shenandoah County in Virginia, you're walking up to a door. You've got some kid with you who's like a probation officer. He's got a college degree, has no law enforcement experience. And he's standing in front of the door while he's knocking. You're like, get out from in front of the door. You're going to get yourself killed. Yeah. He's like, a lot of it's like we need to invest in long-term solutions for criminal justice outside the criminal justice system, i.e. better stuff for drug, drug addicts, more after-school programs. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to find myself being on the minority. No, actually, I won't find myself being on the minority. A lot of cops will say if we invest more in our communities, less people will become criminals, i.e., you go sit there and make sure as a policymaker, you're bringing in jobs that they can get as high school graduates or somebody went to a tech school. You know, a lot of it is economics. When the economics are bad, you sit there and result to crime. When you result to crime, you become a felon. When you become a felon, you sit there and feel bad about yourself. And all of a sudden you are introduced into drugs. Obviously it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes it happens in reverse. The drugs come first and then you become a felon. But as a staunch, you know, as a staunch Republican, like a conservative, not even a Republican, just a conservative as a physical conservative, as a guy that wants to spend less money traditionally, I wouldn't cut rehabs. You spend more money on this. You make them productive members of society. Even if you only save one out of four, that person goes on to be a lifelong member of society. They pay taxes. Their children grow up to be productive members of society. We have a better society overall. So you said get rid of rehabs? I mean... And change it to hmm? what? You said get rid of rehabs? No, no, no. Absolutely the opposite. Need oh, to the, do okay, rehabs. more rehabs. But you need to invest more money. sponsored or private? Uh, most of the rehabs in Virginia are running off of Medicaid. So like they get money off of Medicaid. That's how they run. They run as like a member of a community service board. Yeah. And like you need to be pumping more money into facilities that can facilitate change. And that's where I vary from a lot of people who are conservatives. Spend more money on the rehab, spend more money on the after school programs and spend more money on two-year colleges getting these people train for jobs that can make them a living sustainable rate wage make right, them welders make them mechanics make them college is bullshit college is traditionally bullshit unless you're going to go into the government or if you're gonna end up going to be a lawyer i'm gonna probably go take the lsat in six months and then go into law school because my dream is to be a commonwealth attorney i want to be a solicitor and not for the reasons of throwing people away and throwing away the keys, this balancing, doing restorative justice, understanding, yes, some people have to go to prison. 
but some people need to be referred to community services, i.e. rehabs and everything else. Yeah. It has to be a balance. We need to move away from the punishment style of corrections and the punishment style of where we are as a society. And we need to become more concerned with the victim of the crime and the person who committed the crime, the victim above all else. You take care of the victim and then you take care of the clinical needs of the person who committed the crime. Is he substance abuse? Does he have psychological issues? You need to ref you need to address these things before they become a member of society. I think over 85% of people who go into prison will be released at some point in the society. And you want them to be a better, not necessarily kinder, you want them to be a better citizen. This right. is what we see in probation all the time. We violate people for fentanyl. We violate people for drugs. You would never see me violate a person for court cost. Like, oh, you, you know, you didn't have enough money to pay the court. I'm going to sit there and go up to the judge like, hey, he's working. He's doing his best. You know, give him more time. Now, I have been I have been dressed down by a judge for that before. But we get to a point in our society where we need to understand we need, we need to do better. And we need to do better not only for the victims, for the criminals, the people in the criminal justice system. You need to do better for your officers. The rate of officer suicide is extremely high. The rate of suicide, the rate of suicide for first responders, firefighters, EMTs is extremely high. That's because they're afraid to go seek counseling because they don't want to lose their job. When I was coming up for the ranks. You didn't go see a shrink. If you saw a shrink, you could be fired. Oh, shit. You because could. For because you're no longer mentally, for... you're no oh. longer fit to wear the badge. I had a boss Whoa. by the name of Terry Van Doren. He saw it in me because I came from the prison that way. And he's like, hi, Tara. I'm not going to tell you what to do here. I'm going to give you advice. Here's a card for a woman. Don't use your insurance. You take the weekend off and you come back and talk with me and you tell me if you want to continue this line of work. And basically we had to do it undercover. Like we didn't use our insurance. We didn't do anything because like you never knew if the department was going to dime you out and fire you. And then obviously things changed over the years. You had the employee assistance program come online, a few other things, and it became much more acceptable to seek help but still the stigmas there from the old timers and transfers to the new generation oh i'm good i'm weak if i seek mental help or i'm weak if i you know i'm not a man enough to do the job if i have to go cry on somebody's couch we lost a lot of people to suicide needlessly because they had the damn macho impression the speaking to a psychologist or speaking to a mental health clinician was wrong. And this, that's the last thing I'll cover on. It's like you need to do better at addressing mental health stigma. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, like with something with that going on, um, and not being able to, you know, making it, it's a better solution to just kill yourself and to, you know, have the possibility of losing your livelihood or, you know, having to worry about anything else. I mean, yeah, there's, seems like there's a lot of things that can be done better. Have you looked into writing a book? Has that I, done something in your head? I I have been writing a book as a post-apocalyptic novel, and I was writing, it's sitting on the editing floor right now. It's about 250 pages long. I actually need to take it down a few. But I want to eventually write a book, not necessarily centered for law enforcement, but centered around the victim. Like, so many victims... They, they see themselves as the problem and they're not. 
like especially in domestic violence, we, we see it a lot. Oh, I am the problem. So no, you aren't, you know, no man should ever hit a woman and vice versa. No woman should ever hit a man they're in an intimate relationship with, uh, you know, vice versa also in the, in the LGBT right. plus community. The same thing applies. If you're in an intimate relationship with somebody, you should not hit them, and et cetera, et cetera. So I'm in the process of doing work to draft a book for victims and victims resources and, you know, how to navigate the criminal justice system because a lot of people don't know. A lot of people think you just call 911, bring the cops out to your house, and the problem's going to go away. The problem's not going to go away. You got to be able to go to court, get a temporary restraint where you got to do all these things. And a lot of people just don't know how to do it. And so I was thinking, those, yeah. I'm sorry. And then with those restraining orders, uh, there's been a lot of issues with that. I had a couple people that I graduated high school with back in Oregon and um, the, the guy, he had someone else had a restraining order on him and she filed a restraining order on him, but it, they were never able to find him to serve him. Mm -hmm. And then he ended up coming uh, to yeah. her work where with like her mom, her mom and her best friend both worked with her and went in and fucking she came outside. He shot her and then shot himself. And I mean, it's just, yeah, like I, I didn't mean to interrupt you and oh, go no, on that you're little, you're little tangent. Right. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot needs to be fixed with that. And on the, on the criminal justice side, you have to check yourself because you have that authoritarian mindset, that paramilitary mindset. You have to make sure that you don't bring it home. That My wife says that I have a cop face. That I always look like I'm interrogating or even when I'm happy because I just don't smile. I just have a permanent frown on my face. I'm like, I, it's a survival instinct that you always develop, which is to always look like you're suspicious just looking at a person until they do right. I, I like to compare a probation corrections officer slash deputy to a parent. About 40% of your job is staring at your child or your inmate like you're crazy until they do right. All right. <laughs> a lot of it is just being there and projecting, hey, you know, I need you to act right, you know. Yeah. But yeah, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to cover? Uh, um, no, I mean, I, I think we're good. This is good for for now. I, I would like to have you back at some point. I just uh, don't don't want to, you know, like in a few months and get get back oh, yeah. and get an update. And um, if, if you want to bring me back on a uh, bi-quarterly, like every six month process, I'll give you a prison story every single time. Like yeah. Uh, we can do six months I'm, I'm gonna go with six months so that would put us may somewhere in there oh yeah that would be fine okay yeah we'll bring right. bring back paul hightower for part two so paul thank you right. for being here and yeah i enjoyed getting to talk with you and not knowing what we're gonna get to or what we're gonna talk about and we, i'm glad we got to have the conversation we did and uh it should be a good one to have out there so Mm -hmm. Thank if you I, if I had to close on one thing, it would be Please this. Do. Always, whenever you're choosing, uh, you know, whenever you're choosing an elected official, especially on the local level, always inquire what they're going to do for the people who are dealing with substance abuse, the people who are dealing with mental health. Because the way we got into the situation we are today is because we elected people who are going to cut the budget for the sake of cutting the budget. And now we're in the mess that we're in today because people wanted to save on the, you know, they wanted to save money. So elect people who are going to take care of your mental health community. And that's going to take care of your recovery based evidence-based recovery community, i.e. rehabs and recovery centers and uh, peer support groups. Seeing a lot of good stuff out of peer recovery specialists, like, in the Commonwealth, people who were addicts and are now mentoring people who are going through substance abuse. And that's a life-changing program for a lot of people because they're like, there's somebody like me. I was like, in 
elect people who are going to invest in those programs and we will be a better society for it. I like it. Well, hey, thank you very much, Paul. It was great talking with you. And yeah, we'll get you back on here in May then. All right. Thank you very much. You bet. Have a great day. All right. Bye. All right. Paul Hightower. So, uh, yeah, you guys, I'll put a links in here for him, how to get a hold of him, how to, uh, you know, have follow-up questions with him, get, you know, do what you got to do. And yeah, I'll have him back in May and we can talk some more. Um, probably more stories about being a corrections officer and some other stuff. Who knows? Maybe we'll talk about, I don't know, Godzilla. Who knows? Who knows here on the Public Access Podcast? And my name is Rusty Diamond, and that is the show. Man, boom! It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker.